Today's episode is brought to you by the She Leads Podcast Network, the first network for women by women. Visit SheLeadsPodcast.com to learn more today. Welcome to the Creative Visionaries Podcast. My name is Tori Barker, a digital marketing specialist, business owner, mom, and you guessed it, a creative visionary. This podcast is about inspiring business owners, building connections, sharing success stories, and motivating others. Join me on this journey as we tap into your true potential and unleash your inner visionary. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Creative Visionaries podcast. I have the honor and pleasure of introducing our next guest, Scott Jeffrey Miller. Welcome, welcome. Scott, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and um, why you're so wonderful. I'm starstruck here today. Oh, no, no. I have no evidence that I'm wonderful by any stretch, but (laughs) hey, honored to be here, Tori. Thanks for the spotlight and the platform today. Delighted to maybe impart some of my... uh, successes and messes into your audience. They can learn from my failures as well. Uh, Like you said, I'm Scott Miller. I live here in Salt Lake City, Utah with my wife, Stephanie, and our three young sons that are 8, 10, and 12. And to my wife's absolute horror, they all have my energy level and personality. So there's a lot going on in Millerland. And both our dogs are boys too. So my wife is like way outnumbered. Poor thing, Uh, poor thing. I've lived here on and off for about 26 years. Uh, I've worked for the Franklin Covey Company, which is the world's largest, I think, and most trusted leadership development firm based here in Salt Lake, founded by Dr. Stephen R. Covey. I was his chief marketing officer for a decade, and prior to that, I was a sales leader, and post that, I was the leader of their thought leadership strategy. I'm also um, a multiple author, radio host. I'm a columnist for Inc. Magazine. I host a couple of podcasts, and... uh, I'm an entrepreneur. I own a speaking agency and a literary agency and a few other things like that. I'm originally from Florida. I was born and raised in Orlando, Florida, lived there the first literally half of my life and (laughs) worked for the Walt Disney Company for four years until they invited me to leave. And so that's how they do it at Disney. And so where does a single Catholic boy from Orlando move? Well, of course, to Provo, Utah, where all the Catholics are, right? No, there was not a single Catholic in Provo, Utah 26 years ago, but I had a great run, lived in London, Chicago, and around the world for the company, and now I'm here in Salt Lake writing, speaking, parenting, and trying to keep my marriage together in spite of our three young boys' plan to destroy it every single day. Every day. Isn't that true? Kids are wonderful gems. (laughs) You said it, not me. (laughs) Well, as you know, I have two young boys, and so every day is is different and interesting and a joy and a challenge. (laughs) Yeah, I have more challenges than joy right now. You know, I I marvel at how many people that – post on social media my children complete me this is such a joy their <laughs> gifts from i'm like what and I, I like must be a sociopath because i'm so tired of screaming at them and telling them to stop fighting and stop and feeling so unappreciated i i i think I'm telling I you, my book my book parenting mess to launch success is going to sell million. <laughs> yes. Yes. I will definitely be on the early release list for that Thank book. You. Thank you. <laughs> well, speaking of your books, I want to talk about uh, Management Mess to Leadership Success, yeah. which you've yeah. got displayed beautifully behind you. Um, so tell us about this book. It's it's a, It's a got three parts to it. Lead yourself, lead others, and then get results. Yeah. So tell us where this the idea for this book came about and 
And I just love well, to hear your thoughts on mainly that. Mainly because the world needed one more leadership book. No, the world did not need one more leadership book. But, you know, I spent my entire career in the leadership industry. And what I realized, Corey, was that the vast majority of all of the leadership books were really about people's successes and their triumphs and, you know, and their glory, you know, uh, career. Glamorizing leadership. Leadership's tough. Yeah. Leadership is unrewarding, unrelenting. Oh, wait, that's parenting also. No, leadership <laughs> can be really hard and it's not for everybody. Right. Not everybody should be a leader of people. Right. Just like not everyone should be a commercial airline pilot or an anesthesiologist. Not everybody should be a leader of people. So I wrote a book that was really vulnerable. It was yeah. uh, funny and fast and light, but it really was, here are 30 challenges mm -hmm. that I think every leader faces in their career. And here's how I kind of screwed a lot of them up. I was very vulnerable in the book. Talked Absolutely. a lot about my kind of two steps forward, one step back career and how I'd learned, you know, don't do this, do that. Don't say this, say that. And I didn't mean it to be a confessional. I did, I did mean it to say, hey, you know, you probably can learn more from my messes than my successes because you can't replicate my successes. That's my natural genius. That's my passion. Right. But what you can do is you can avoid a lot of the mistakes that I made. So it was a gift to readers. It's done quite well. And uh, I took the 30 challenges based from some of the top leadership issues that Franklin Covey had faced around our 40 years in business and organized them loosely, like you said, into three tranches. The first eight, I think, are around leading yourself, the next 12 around leading others, and the final 10 around getting results. But quite frankly, that was more of kind of a, a framework for the book than it was this one doesn't relate to that. You can kind of move them around, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And like and you my said wife told me that I'll never get a job again after writing that book because the speaking career better, you know, work out. And she's right. No one would ever hire me as a CEO again after reading that book. <laughs> Nothing unethical or immoral. Sometimes no, but you, but you were vulnerable. You talked about challenges and mistakes that you made, which, you know, I wasn't expecting when I picked up the book and started reading. I was like, oh, wow, he's really putting, you know, your perspective and your experiences into light. And so, you know, as a reader, you're like, wow, okay, I guess I'm not that bad, right? <laughs> I think some... for, every, for every one person that probably thinks I'm a pariah, I've had four or five email me and say, oh my gosh, you are me. I, I have done this. I have said this. and or I, or I was headed that direction. Thank you. So it's not a leadership book for people who are naturally wise, mature leaders. They might be great entrepreneurs or passionate, or they might have some you know, impulsive nature in, in them. And so it's a guide yeah. to people that want to lead or need to lead, but might need some guidance. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> so I wanted to pull out, there are a couple of sections that I wanted to um, to pull out a quote that I liked and, and kind of have you touch more on that. So in challenge number seven, which is inspired trust, I wanted to talk about the importance, importance of helping others succeed. And this really hit me because, um, well, here you, are, here you are today giving me such a, a wonderful opportunity to meet you and, and you know, Ah, shucks. <laughs> but the quote from the book is, any success I've achieved in my life is a direct result of someone extending trust to me. And in many cases, not because I had specifically earned it through my behavior. Can you touch on that a little bit? Sure. First of all, thank you for reading the book. And I had forgotten that quote in the book. It's been a while. I've written a few books since then. But thank you for reminding me. Uh, I think that's profound. Not because I said it. I'm sure I took it from someone else wiser than me. But it's true. If you look back at our careers, all of our successes, 
somehow relate to someone who believed in us more than perhaps we believed in ourselves, someone who took a risk on us, someone who lent us their reputation, their credibility. Yeah. And that's been my career. And again, sometimes when I had to be pre-forgiven, not just forgiven, but <laughs> pre-forgiven, because they knew I was going to do something or say something wrong. Again, not, you know, unethical or immoral, illegal, but perhaps unwise yeah. or uncalled for. And so it's very true. My entire career, I mean, I, I can I can like Venn diagram, like back my career, how I got to where I was by all the people who helped me get there. Yeah. And so I think it's true for everyone. It's 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 risky when you start to think that your success is because of your own genius, your own talent, your own work ethic. Yeah. No doubt those contributed, right? I am an extremely hard worker, insanely hard worker. I think I'm remarkably creative. But everything I've been afforded is because someone trusted me or extended trust to me because they thought I would rise to the occasion when perhaps in the past I did it. They didn't punish me. They didn't ostracize me. They didn't blacklist me. They sat me down, had a high courage conversation with me and said what was and wasn't acceptable, set very clear parameters on what they would need for me in the future, and then showed me the way. Right. And in most cases, I rose to the challenge. Well, and what's what's the, the greatest success out of that, I think, is that you're paying it forward, that, you know, somebody extended that to you and you're doing the same for others. Somebody's, many somebody's extended yeah. it to me over my you know, 40 year almost career. And uh, it's a good reminder. I love your podcasting style. You're just reminding me of things that I wrote about that perhaps even I forgot. It's always helpful to be reconnected to these things. And as you just said that, there are some people on my team that I'm disappointed in today, quite disappointed in. And they're frustrated with me and how I handled it. And it's going to shape my conversation later when I call them back and fix some things. Yeah to recognize that I need to not minimize them into what I think their limitations are, but to continue to clarify, to coach, and to build their capability in the hopes that they can grow beyond as well. Right. Good reminder. Yeah. Is this therapy? So uh, the next one is challenge nine. So placing the right people in the right roles. And the quote I pulled here is building a winning team can be the one be can be one of your greatest legacies as a leader, but it's rarely recognized or rewarded in real time. True. Leadership is not day trading currencies or, or Bitcoin. Leadership is buying a home and sitting on it for 30 years and then seeing it appreciate. If you are a leader and you expect to be appreciated and thanked and be given platitudes, you're in the wrong business, right? right? Go get a dog who will lick you. Leadership really is about investing in people. And then perhaps much later, maybe even when they're not even working for you anymore, when they look back because they're wiser, because they're more mature, perhaps because now they are a leader themselves and they realize how daunting Challenge. it can be. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They come back to you and realize, oh yeah, that wasn't as easy as I thought it was. In fact, most of my leadership speeches are about asking people in the audience to forgive their leader. Because most of us, not all of us, but I think the majority of us find more fault than we do appreciation with our leaders. When leadership is very difficult, the pressures leaders are on to perform in the short term, in the long term, to have high courage conversations, to give feedback on blind spots, to hold people accountable yeah. for making and keeping commitments. I mean, it's endless, right? Mm -hmm. And then not rushing in and saving the day, but to coach and build capability, to find time to coach and yeah. build capability. To protect Absolutely. your team from urgencies, all those things. Leadership is so difficult. 
And so I do think as you're leading a team, you have to recognize that this is the long game and you may not get the validation or the appreciation ever that you deserve. When someone thanks me for my contribution to them, it's often in an airport 10 years after I terminated them or they quit or they left or whatever it was. They come back and say, oh, my gosh, that thing you taught me and the time I thought you were just a you know what, Mm -hmm. a jack fill in the blank, not a compliment. But now I've come to realize you were dealing with this and this and this. Dr. Covey, the author of the seminal book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People that founded our company, he said the quickest way to change your paradigm is to change your role. And it's so true, right? Is wow. you know, you, you as soon as you become a parent, you realize, oh my gosh, yes, the TV is a babysitter, so I can sleep for 13 <laughs> minutes, right, and save my sanity. Um, now I realize why the leader lost her cool at that or this because I'm facing the same thing. So right, um, be patient. Yeah. Well, and it's um, I was listening to one of your um, most recent interviews on your podcast. Uh, with um, uh, it was about trust and inspire. Oh, Stephen M. R. Covey. Yes, Stephen M. R. Yes, yeah. yeah. So that was interesting to listen to that, and and it was funny. You said another leadership book because that's what he said on his his oh, interview. <laughs> <laughs> like, here's another leadership yeah. book, right? <laughs> I think you're going to see thousands of more leadership books come out because I think they're instructive. Find the one that speaks yeah. to you with your challenges, with your passions, your talents, and. Read those that speak speak to you. There's lots of space, I think, left on the shelf. Yes. So, okay. So last quote I'm going to pull from the book, I promise. Um, so challenge 22, which is create vision. Yeah. Um, and this one says leaders create vision that's uh, ultimately shared by their team and colleague who then execute it with excellence. Yeah. <laughs> Dr. Covey also said no involvement, no commitment. And that's a great leadership principle, because I think what happens is most leaders do their best thinking in the shower or on the racquetball court or on the drive to the office. And they think their job, only job, primary job is to create strategy. Mm. Well, that is a fundamental job of a leader, right, is to create vision, Mm -hmm. to paint a vision. But if the vision is only in your head and it isn't in everybody else's head and in their heart, then they're just merely executing on your vision And you haven't won their hearts. You've maybe won their minds or their backs. And that may sound like a little bit of a, um, uh, you know, a pithy adage, but this is true is when you've got a vision, that's probably 10% of the work. You've got to implant that vision into the passions of your team members and have them own it as if they had thought it up. Now their job is of course, to help you execute on it, to lead the execution. Yeah. But, People don't want to spend their career simply executing on your genius. That gets yeah. old. Yeah. No one wants to work for the smartest person in the room. So you've got to make sure that you aren't the only one that sets the vision, that you aren't the only one that sees it, that you co-collaborate on it. You don't just walk in and always set the vision mm. because I think this phrase is so valuable. No involvement, no commitment. The more your team is involved on co-ownership of the vision, then they don't feel like they're executing your strategy. They're executing their strategy and they will stay long. Wow. wow. That's, that's inspiring. I mean, leadership I had... wisdom from Scott. <laughs> Jeffrey Miller. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't thought about it that way, but you're absolutely right. It's, it's the ownership that, you know, if they're part of the idea, then yeah. they're they're They have the buy-in for the, the end product, the result and executing that. 
and can I tell you a small risk in this? A small risk is there is a type of leader, well-intended, that goes into a meeting and they feign democracy around, I want to hear everybody's ideas. When they full well have their idea, they know where it's going to land, but yet they're sort of placating everybody by thinking I'm listening to you. And, no, oh, that's a good idea. And, you know, as I've also thought about that, and then they kind of rail- railroad their idea. Listen, mm-hmm. everybody's on to you. Everybody knows what you're doing. Stop wasting their time. There's yeah. such a thing as executive privilege. You may walk in as leader and say, I've thought of this. This is our strategy, and we're going to do this. You have that right. Not every meeting, not every time, not right. all the time. Right. But I do think there is great wisdom in making sure that you declare your intent. My intent is to share with you some things I've been thinking about that I think perhaps still are a bit rough around the edges, and I'd love to have your input on it. I think this is the right direction, yeah. but you know, maybe it needs a degree turn or two. And then you've got people that don't feel like you're the genius. They feel smart. They feel valued. They feel included. They feel involved. Yeah. Therefore, they become committed. Yeah, absolutely. Practical advice. That is not just some leadership quote from some you know old wise sage. That's just good everyday leadership advice. That's good parenting advice. Yeah, well. I think you're right. Everyone can learn from that, whether it's in business or in, in personal life. Yeah. Words of wisdom. So the book, this A Management Mess to Leadership Success is the first of a series. So can you tell us about the other books in your series and what's to come? I'm looking around for some covers, but I can't find them. So uh, Management Mess to Leadership Success was the first volume in the Mess of Success series. The green book behind me, for those of you who might be watching on video, is called Marketing Mess to Brand Success, 30 Challenges to Transform your organization's brand and your own. It came out last June. Um, all my books have 30 challenges. I don't know why, but they have 30. <laughs> 30 days in a month, some months. The next one is called Communication Mess to Influence Success. I think it'll awesome. be fantastic. Yes. And then the next one is called Job Mess to Career Success. I have another one called um, Sales Mess to Revenue Success. Or it might be sales mess to client success. I'm still working on the title. Yeah. There's a whole series of them. There'll be one on relationships. Like I mentioned earlier, I'm starting to write one called Parenting Mess to Launch Success. The problem is my kids aren't launched yet. So I got to have them <laughs> at least like in college or something. And so you've got about. It's a work know, in progress. See, yeah, I got about six years to like, I want to write it now. I yeah. want to write it now. But I think I got to either change the launch success to something else because I don't think you can really launch them until they're. What, 30? Right on the 40? I don't know nowadays. <laughs> Please, no. No, I know. I'm not ready. <laughs> oh, I'm ready. I just don't know if they're going to be ready. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm ready. So so whose idea was it to write this series? And and how did you come up? Like, did oh. you start? I know as a, a visionary, it's like, I had this idea. And then I had this other idea and this other idea. So did it kind of all come together as one big idea of a series or did it kind of piecemeal out? Oh, well, we should yeah, do this. And it definitely piecemealed. I mean, and honestly, no one's ever asked me this question before. And I've done hundreds of podcasts from this book. It happened with about 10 people. We had a small little book booklet, like a giftable that our chief people officer, Todd Davis wrote. And we, 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 we curated with him these 30 challenges. We gave it out to clients. It did really well. And then he went off to write a different, bigger book um, that became a great Wall Street Journal bestseller. And then I found a publisher. 
And I thought, gosh, you know what? I've got some great stories around these that I think I could write that are really vulnerable and could help people. And I had kind of had the courage to write a book that wasn't how I did it well, it's how I did it poorly, right? And so yeah. there weren't many people in the company that wanted to, you know, share all of their sins. And so a publisher believed in me. It was a publisher that named it. Mango named it Management Mess to Leadership Success, which was a bit controversial because not everybody likes to use those words interchangeably, right? And management means some things to people in leadership and all and of mess. that. Not all <laughs> management's a mess, right? And <laughs> has a negative title to it. And and so it was not a very popular book inside Franklin Covey because, you know, as a Utah company, Utah company, everything works out nice here. Everybody gets along. Everything wraps up in a bow in Utah. There's no problems <laughs> out here, whatever. But that's the dominant culture in this state oftentimes, right? Uh, and so it wasn't a very popular book early on. And I think at the time of this taping, I think I've already given seven keynotes on it this month alone. Wow. And so it's a very popular topic still inside, inside organizations. So it was the culmination of a lot of talented people that rallied around me and helped to congeal it. But I wrote the whole book. I wrote it myself. They're my stories. No one wrote it for me. I had an editor help me, you know, kind of get the ball to the end zone metaphorical each time. But yep, yep. Um, I do write my own books. That is amazing. And I also record the audiobooks, which let me tell you, that kicks your you know what. That is tough. <laughs> I always like I always appreciate when you read an or you read a book or you listen to a book and you can actually hear the author's voice on the audio side. It just I don't know, to me it just makes it so much more impactful because when you read something you hear their voice in your yeah. head kind of, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I think then it, I think it happens a more so in nonfiction books than fiction. Yeah. Rarely does an author read their own fiction books. Right. Because they're not they're not professional readers. There there is a career of, of very competent yes. people who are who do voiceover work, right, and who read on 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 audio for a living. Uh, I wanted to read it, and people encouraged me to read it because I do think my personality, for good and bad, comes out in it. And yeah. so I have chosen to read all of my books on audio. And it, it, honestly, this will sound arrogant. I mean it to be humble. It's my gift to the reader because it is a very taxing. I can't read for more than about two hours because you start to get blisters in your mouth and you get fatigued, yeah. believe it or not, talking yeah. nonstop for two hours. So it takes a lot of time to read it. And depending upon your editor, it's usually, a, in my case, it's been a he, sometimes a she. They might let you go two sentences. Stop. I need you to repeat that word. And here's the Oh, in, my in, gosh. Can you imagine, like, repeating everything in a <laughs> Okay, and I'm not I'm I'm and lot, not letting your tone um, come across with like, oh gosh, this is again, are you serious? <laughs> or you get through a whole paragraph with no changes and you wait and they say, you know, I need you to read that again because. Because you paused. No. <laughs> or whatever. Or whatever. No, they wish I would pause. They want more pauses. From... <laughs> They're like, we can't slow you down on the audio. Oh, no. So you're going to have to do it. <laughs> Were you there? <laughs> Well, okay, so I want to transition a little bit into thought leadership. I mean, yes. this is all kind of intertwined into you, your books and your business and everything, but um, you talk about thought leadership a lot, and I wanted to hear why you think it's so important um, in this yeah. day and age and just in yeah. general. Yeah, I think thought leadership is getting a little bit of a bad rap because it's kind of so overused right now. But let me correct that paradigm. I was the executive vice president of thought leadership at Franklin Covey. What that really means is, is what's our point of view? What's our expertise? Hmm. What do we have genius around that others would like to 
of sort. I think public relations has now turned into thought leadership. Hmm. Gone are the days in organizations where you called up the local reporter to come, you know, report on your news launch. Yeah, their job was eliminated like 800 times over. And, you know, no one's sending out press releases anymore. I mean, you do, but who reads them? I mean, like maybe the AP would pick something up, but rarely. I think public relations now is more about triage, Mm -hmm. reputation management, right? There's a crisis or an issue, or perhaps your CEO is called on for her to weigh in on a topic, you know, in some some calamity. But public relations has really, I think, displaced public or um, thought leadership has displaced public relations as the mouthpiece of your company. It might be writing a column in a magazine. It might be having a podcast or a blog, or it's your website. It might be your keynote speeches. It might be how your company gets their expertise out into the marketplace at a very defined group of people. Mm-hmm. So we have expertise and opinions on this topic, and here's who we think needs to hear them so that they can understand what it is we do and hire us. That's what thought leadership is. And so you cannot call yourself a thought leader. Someone else has to call you a thought leader. <laughs> like you can't call yourself an expert. I don't think you should, by the way. Yeah, yeah. At least I don't fall into that trap. But that's really what it is, is you paid the price. You've earned the reps to have a articulated, valuable point of view. And like I said, it could be deployed in any numerous channels. And by the way, I think you don't have to be a Fortune 5000 company to have thought leadership. You can be a plumber. You could be a baker. Yeah. You could be a cupcake expert. You could be a knitter. Yeah. I mean, maybe thought leadership's the wrong term if you are you know, have a knitting store. Maybe it's, you know, thoughts from Carol. <laughs> Not to say that all knitters are women, right? Maybe it's Carol with a K, but you get the point. I think every organization, no matter how big or how small, you have expertise on something, and that is your thought leadership. And I think your marketing, your business development is supported and deployed through how you get that expertise out to those who need to hear it. Yeah, definitely. And that's a, you know, kind of a good segue into um, the next topic I wanted to talk about your podcast the On Leadership podcast, because I feel like um, a lot of the the people that you interview and the guests that you have on have that thought leadership that they bring, um, you know, to share with the audience. And so tell us about, you know, I think at the time of this recording, you're just over 200 episodes, right? Yeah, which doesn't sound like that many in the industry, but that's 200 weeks of never any interruption on camera interviewing someone. So thank you for the spotlight on this. So like you, I'm privileged to host a podcast. And uh, like yours, mine is on video and audio. It's called On Leadership with Scott Miller. Franklin Covey sponsors this podcast. It now is the largest weekly leadership podcast globally. It's about 7 million people each Tuesday. And we have all kinds of authors, Ariana Huffington, Deepak Chopra, Mm. Matthew McConaughey, Doris Kearns, Goodwin, Seth Godin, Liz Wiseman, Ann Chow, you name it, all different walks of life. Some of them are best-selling authors, some are business titans, some are CEOs. Some of them just survived a plane crash. Some of them survived a brutal, horrific violation of their um, bodies. Mm. They were raped, they were, were, you know, left for dead, and they survived. And they came back as a renowned civil or a victim's right advocate, right? And Mm. lived to tell about forgiveness. Mm. And so... Uh, all walks of life and uh, from all around the world. And I'm privileged each week to sit in the chair and interview them. I read their book or I study them and I interview them. Uh, Deepak Chopra was a couple of weeks ago and that was humbling because there are not two more dissimilar people, Tori, than Scott Miller 
and Deepak Chopra. Trust me, <laughs> I learned a lot from him. Uh, most profoundly, the difference between being a human being and being a human doing. Hmm. And I am definitely a human doing, and he is very much a human being. So I'm trying to do less doing and do more being. Yeah. Listen to the podcast for that one. But we got some great guests coming up in the future. It'll kind of blow you away at who's coming up. Um, but I'm excited about keeping it going for numerous years in the future and invite you to subscribe to it and listen. Absolutely. It is the podcast that I wrote a second book on called Master Mentors. And that book is now out based on the podcast interviewees. So like you, I've uh, probably improved my skills since the first episode and becoming hopefully a little better. And we'll that, the book that you mentioned, the master mentors, that's 30 uh, guests that you pulled out to tell the story from the It is. So is from the correct? first 100 interviews about, I picked 30 people that I thought had something transformational to share. There were more than 30, but I love this 30 number. So yeah. with their permission, I wrote a story about them. One mm -hmm. transformational insight from 30, what I called master mentors. The criteria was you had to be a guest on the podcast. They had to give me permission. And I wrote a book and it became a big bestseller and I've been speaking about it around the world. And uh, I just now finished the second volume and what's going to be a 10 volume series and master mentors one every year for the next eight years. And so in October master mentors, volume two comes out. It's available now on, on, on um, Amazon and bookstores, 30 new mentors, 30 new transformational insights. I'll go do a couple hundred keynotes about that and interviews. And then wow. uh, I just started um, master mentor volume three which uh, I'm excited to um, release in 2024, awesome. 2023, 2023. <laughs> I get so, mixed up. <laughs> <laughs> All the years are blending together, the books and the years and everything. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, I find it, I'm curious to find out um, as a host myself, um, I'm very new into podcasting, not 200 episodes yet, but I'll get there. I'm, I'm hopeful. Um, but how is it for you to switch and be the interviewed person and not the host? How is oh, it to the be the guest? Yeah. Oh, I much prefer to be the interviewee. That's easy. Because <laughs> really? you have to do the all, you have to do the all hard, hard work. You have to watch the clock. You have to keep the conversation going. You have to match that guest energy, which is hard for me. You have to ask <laughs> insightful questions and know when to ask a follow-up question versus when to pivot off topics and move to something else without hijacking the audience. You have to know when to end it and how to start it. And uh, it's, oh, it's so much harder to be the host than it is to be the guest. I'll be the guest all day long. So you've got the hard job and you're doing a great job at it, by the way. Oh, thank you. Well, I just kind of wanted to wrap it up and um, just get some final words of wisdom from you, some amazing, you know, thoughts or anything you want to yeah. share with my audience. I would, yeah. I would appreciate it. Well, the topic of our podcast today was really around this first book I wrote, Management Mess to Leadership Success. And I'm writing a new book for HarperCollins called The Ultimate Mentoring Guide. Mm. And so I'm writing a book for organizations on how to develop mentoring programs, what it means to be a mentor. What are the 15 roles that mentors play? And here's why I mentioned that book is uh, I think we learn more from people's mistakes than we do their successes. If I want to learn how to become uh, and build a multi-million dollar business, I don't go to someone who's done that. I go to someone who's had three bankruptcies. Yeah. If I want to learn how to be married 30 years, I don't go to someone who's been married 30 years. I go to someone who's been married three times and had three <laughs> divorces because I don't think I can replicate your successes. I don't have your looks, your genius. I don't have your personality. I don't have your education. I don't have your natural talent or your earned talent. I have mine. Right. But what I can do is I can learn from your mistakes. I can learn metaphorically 
what potholes did you fall into and how do I sort of delicately or widely walk around them? So I think the big idea here is to, as a leader, when you own your mess and you all have them, everybody knows them, everybody's talking about them, just acknowledge it. When you own your mess, you make it safe for others to own theirs. Mm. And that's, I think, a big cultural imperative in small companies and entrepreneurial companies and larger companies that you want the leader to be vulnerable and yeah. confident. You want the leader to be transparent mm. and humble. You want mm. the leader to be relatable, not unrelatable. So as a leader, no matter how high or how low or how new you are to leadership, you ought to be thinking about how do I build connection with my people? How do I own my mess so that they can own their mess and talk about it freely and not make it taboo or you know, make it difficult to receive feedback? Yeah. And then finally, as a leader, you should use your messes to teach through them, mm. not to walk around and confess all your sins all day long. That's not what I'm saying. I'm good at that as a Catholic. But <laughs> really use your mistakes to say, hey, everybody, come around. Let me tell you about the time I lost this client deal. And here's why I lost it. And take responsibility for it and teach through it. Mm-hmm. I think your credibility will strengthen, not weaken. Can I ask you one final question? Please. Okay, so when you're talking about this, um, can you touch on how this has changed in the new world that we're in in the virtual teams? So how can a leader c- overcome these struggles, be vulnerable and still have connected, you know, have a connected team in a virtual setting? Cause you know, I know yeah. that can be a, an, an added challenge cause you know, in the corporate world, you know, brick and mortar people are together day to day and that's easier to achieve. But what yeah. about when you're in a virtual space? Yeah, I don't know that it's that much more difficult. Obviously, some very large portion of our communication comes from our body language, right? The, the, our eye contact, our emotions, our rate, our pitch, our tone, everything, our posture versus the words we choose. So it may be that you have to actually verbalize what it is you're feeling. Hmm. Maybe you say, you know, this is embarrassing to me or I've hmm. wrestled with how to share this or I'm emotional right now. I actually I'm emotional preparing to share this. So you might need to actually verbalize what it is your body is experiencing. You're only seeing, you know, an eighth of my body. <laughs> I'm dressed, by the way. I'm dressed from the bottom down here, so, <laughs> just in case. But I do think there's some wisdom to that is to not infer hmm. that people know what your intent is. You may have to declare your intent. My intent is to share something that's quite personal and vulnerable to me. And um, I'm doing it because I think you could benefit from it because it's had a big impact on me. You you may have to actually declare your intent and actually talk about what it is you're feeling. Because Mm. some people may not be on camera. They may not be watching you. And your voice might still project confidence or even arrogance when you mean it to be a humbling, you know, sharing. So. That probably is one of the best ways. I think most of it probably still comes through. If you've built rapport with your team, you may need to pause more for reflection. Mm -hmm. You may need to become comfortable with silence. Mm -hmm. A lot of leaders that are great communicators are very uncomfortable with silence. Three seconds feels like 30 seconds to lots of us. (laughs) You know, my natural voice level is up here. I talk up here all the time. So I might need to lower my voice and resonate with those who listen differently than I do, because most of us speak like this. I like to listen up here, but not everyone likes to listen to this all day long. I might need to, in a virtual environment, make sure that my 
voice modulates and that I resonate with those who listen and speak differently than me. That's actually good advice, right? Is to recognize that you tend to speak and communicate the way that resonates with you. Mm. And what you should be doing is speaking and communicating in ways that resonates with everybody else on your team, which is why I think post-pandemic, an individualized style of leadership is imperative. You don't treat your children the same. Yeah. You don't treat your employees the same. You can treat them equitably mm. and still treat them differently. Right. And I think that's going to be an imperative as we come back to this post, you know, resignation, reevaluation, you name it, world. Yeah. Very insightful and very wise. Your podcast is great. Thank you. See, I'm back to that voice level. Your podcast is great. I'm sure you're going to hit 200 episodes. I'm delighted to be part of your, um, your influence in the world. Thank you. So where would you like uh, people to follow you? Obviously, I know we've talked about your books and For, your podcast. I'd like you to follow me to Chase Bank and take out some money. <laughs> <laughs> I'll you leave it a deposit amount. <laughs> uh, you can follow me anywhere. Uh, I'm on Instagram, uh, YouTube, TikTok, LinkedIn, Facebook. You can visit me at scottjeffreymiller.com. All my books and podcasts and columns and interviews are there. LinkedIn is probably my most active channel, although Facebook and um, Instagram are very popular as well. So um, according to my wife, it's hard not to find me. <laughs> and that's not a compliment. That's not a compliment from her. <laughs> and make sure you subscribe to the podcast as well. Yes. Thanks, Tori. Yes. Yeah. Thank you again. I appreciate your time. I appreciate your wisdom. And I hope that we have been able to share something insightful for our, our listeners today. Thanks so much for listening to the Creative Visionaries podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe, leave us a review, or share with a friend. Also make sure to visit us online at creativevisionariespodcast.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. And stay tuned for more episodes to come. And remember, it's time to tap into your true potential and unleash your inner visionary.